0: We're
1: getting ready for you. Yeah. We're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, for you, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, for you, yeah, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready. We're getting ready for you, oh, we're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready for you,
0: yes, all right, come on in and find a seat, would you stand with us, I want to just take a moment to get ready to meet with the Lord this morning, get our hearts ready, get our minds ready, even get our bodies ready move around a little bit. Yeah, Ruthie's ready. We're getting
1: ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready for you. We're getting ready, we're getting ready, we're getting ready
0: Us singing at you. This is about lifting our voices as one church, lifting our praise, our adoration all together as one voice. Let's sing this. We'll shout to the whole world. We'll shout to the whole world, hears it. We'll sing
1: to the whole earth, knows King Jesus, he is faithful. He is a blessed hope. We'll shout to the whole world. It seems to the whole world
0: Yes, I will lift you high even in the lowest valley yes I will bless your name and sing for joy even if my heart is heavy let's sing this I count on one thing who are gathered to seek God we choose to remember that our God is bigger and better than we think today I'm reminded that God is just through the words of Psalm 33 he loves whatever is just and good the unfailing love of the Lord fills the earth we put our hope in the Lord he is our help and our shield In him, our hearts rejoice, for we trust in his holy name. Let your unfailing love surround us, Lord, for our hope is in you alone. Amen. We're going to sing one more song as we prepare to hear from John. But I want to send out the kids to their classes, K through 8th. Fifth through eighth have special hangout times today, too, so kindergarten through eighth graders can head out. And then let's just remember that our God is not only Jyra, which means the Lord will provide what we just sang, but some other names, and we're gonna get to sing them, are Waymaker, Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper. He's the light of the world. So let's declare that together.
1: make a miracle work, promise, keep light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. You are the make miracle work, promise, keep light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Touching every heart I worship you I worship you
0: that bridge one more time that maybe somebody in this space needs to declare that one more time that maybe life feels like you cannot see the hand of God you do not feel God around you maybe it feels like God has left the building and yet we can declare as one people for you over you with you that even when we don't see it, even when we don't see his hand at work, even when we're not feeling it, we don't experience his presence in like that internal way, we can declare that, yes, you are still working. You are still God. You are still on the throne. You are still alive and speaking and moving. And so I'm going to choose to step out and say, even if I don't see you or feel you, I know, Lord, you are still working and moving in my life. And I'm going to stand on that. I'm going to stake my faith in that. so let's sing that together sing it for those around you sing it over yourself let's fill this place with this declaration of faith even when i don't see it i know you're working lord even even when
1: i don't see it you're working even when i can't feel it you're working you never stop you never stop working you never stop you never stop working you work it, even when I can't feel it. You work it. You never stop, you never stop working, you never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, I know you working. I know you'll move. I know your speak.
0: Keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you
1: are. You are a way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God.
0: power in this place this morning that you would reveal yourself in new and fresh ways Lord specifically to those that feel like you're not working or moving anymore or maybe they feel like you never have let me pray you draw close pray you draw us all in help us to draw close to you Lord you promise that when we draw close you will be near And so, Lord, would you speak through John today? Would you be supernaturally in every one of his words and give us ears to hear them and receive them, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can have a seat.
2: Good morning. I love this courtyard. You guys, are you enjoying the courtyard? I'm enjoying this courtyard. You guys have a better seat than I do. I've got the sun here, uh, and I am going to not wear a hat, but we're going, to, uh, we're, we're going to just jump into the message. If you're new with us, we're in a sermon series on the book of Nehemiah. We're walking through it a chapter at a time. Uh, the theme is rebuilding, 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 rebuilding. I wonder, maybe I start by asking you, is there an area in your life that needs to be rebuilt? Is there a relationship in your life that needs to be rebuilt? It could be uh, a reputation that, that uh, you, you need to rebuild it at work. You've lost credibility. It may be that you need to uh, rebuild your financial life because you're in bankruptcy, you're in so much debt, you're, you're just drowning in that. Where, where in your life Do you need the good news that God sees you, he knows you, he loves you, he's Jaira, he's the provider when we walk in his ways, when we make choices that honor him, life just seems to work so much better than when we make choices and decisions of walking in our own ways, selfishly, Uh, when we make it all about me. When I make my life about me, my life doesn't work so well, I don't know about you, but so we're in this, this, this whole big theme of rebuilding. And one of the things about um, teaching out of the Bible, there's different... There's, there, there, there's textual teaching and there's topical teaching. Textual teaching is when you walk verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the Bible. Great way, uh, great way to teach, but not the only way. In fact, Jesus didn't teach that way, just spoiler alert. When people go, that's the only way to teach in churches, I'm just gonna tell you, Jesus never did that. Jesus was a storyteller. So the topical is when we take topics. We're gonna do a series on marriage. We're gonna do a series on you fill in the blank, right? Spiritual growth, whatever it is. That's what we would call topical teaching. So there's both textual and there's topical. Right now we're in a series that is textual. It's a book of the Bible, Nehemiah, Old Testament. And when you teach, Through the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, here's what I want you to hear. You don't get to choose the topic. The topic chooses you. And that's one of the great parts of teaching through the Bible, verse by verse and chapter by chapter. You don't get to choose the topic. The text chooses you. And then you have to wrestle with it. Earl Palmer, I love what he said. The great Presbyterian pastor said... uh, speaking and teaching God's word is when you take the text and you take real life and you bring them together and make them collide and then you got to wrestle with the fallout of that taking God's word and taking real life what's happening in the culture what's happening in your life your real life and you bring God's word into into that and, and you bring them together and they collide and then you you have to figure out okay now how do I make sense of of God and my life and how do I become the man, the woman that God dreams for me to become. So with that being said, we're in Nehemiah chapter 5 and uh, Nehemiah chapter 5 takes a turn. It, uh, if I were to say the big ideas here of Nehemiah 5, hang on now, hold your breath. I know some of you have justice or injustice fatigue I know some of you are like, uh, we're not going to talk about this again. We've been talking about this for two years, right? Nehemiah 5 is about injustice. Nehemiah 5 is about exploitation of others. Nehemiah 5 is about greed. Leaders being greedy and exploiting hardworking people and the injustice of that. Listen as I read the first 5 verses if you have a Bible, feel free to follow along or on your phone, Nehemiah chapter 5. So they're rebuilding the wall. Just the context, villagers, people from surrounding towns and villages, the breadmaker of the family. These folks, hard working folks have left their homes, have left their jobs. And have traveled to Jerusalem to help rebuild the wall. And so they're stepping out in faith. They're sacrificing to go and help for the greater good, for the greater cause. That's the context of this. This is what they're doing. And what ends up happening is there's a famine. There's not enough food. Now they're suffering because of their sacrifice. They're suffering because of their sacrifice but adding kind of insult to injury the leaders of the community are exploiting them they're taking advantage of them they're charging them higher interest listen to verses one through five they've been working from sunrise to sundown remember that from last week and uh, they're, they're holding one spear they're working they're protecting they're all in They're giving themselves all in, making sacrifice to honor God and to protect their families and the community. And here we go. Verse one, about this time, chapter five, about this time, some of the men and their wives raised a cry of protest against their fellow Jews. They were saying, we have such large families, And we need more food to survive. Others said, we have mortgaged our fields, vineyards, and homes to get food during the famine. And then verse 4, others said, we've had to borrow money on our fields and vineyards to pay our taxes. We belong to the same family as those who are wealthy. And our children are just like theirs. Yet we must sell our children into slavery just to get enough money to live. We've already sold some of our daughters and we're helpless to do anything about it. We're helpless to do anything about it for our fields and vineyards are already mortgaged to others. So do you see what's going on? Nehemiah looks at this. In fact, if you look at verse six, it says, Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I. Now, what do you think? How, what, how do you think Nehemiah would respond? He's going to tell us here in this verse, when I heard, when I saw what was happening, when I heard about this, here's my response. He says, it sucks to be them. <laughs> or, well, it did not really affect me, you know. They should have chosen a different or Nehemiah doesn't do that. Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry is the word. Why would he be angry? Why would you be angry when you look at what's happening in a broken world and see a situation that you go, that's not right. That is not right. Is there any situation in the world, in this broken world, that, that stirs up in you when you read about it, when you see it? It's an injustice and you go, that makes me angry. That is not God's heart for this world. That is not heaven coming down to earth. You know, there's a, there's a phrase called holy discontent. You know, we can't care about 150 social issues, right? We don't have the bandwidth, the emotional capacity, but I'm going to bet that each of you, and I know some of you personally, you have a holy, God has put a holy discontent in your heart about a social issue, an issue of injustice, an issue of discrimination, an issue of, it might be sexual harassment in the workplace, it might be Racism and anti racism. It might be pro life. It might be gun control. It might be, you fill in the blank, refugees, health care. I mean, there's so many issues. We could preach a different issue every Sunday. That's one of the reasons we say we're a Jesus centered church, not an issue centered church, because if we spoke to every issue that we care about, we would be speaking every week on it. And what we want to do is allow the text to speak to the issues for us. So here in Nehemiah 5, we get a front row seat. You and I get a front row seat to a godly leader's response to what's happening in the world, a situation that's exploitive, that, that, that just isn't right. And so I frame this talk when genuine faith leads to a generous life. When a genuine faith, because I believe that if my faith is genuine, that I authentically, I really want to follow Jesus. I I really want to become a man of God. That, That if that's heartfelt and genuine, it's going to lead me, John Ireland, to becoming a more generous person, generous in spirit, giving people the benefit of the doubt, not blaming them, pointing fingers, not indifferent. Going, um, my heart's callous, my heart's hard towards the hurt in the world, but generous in that I'm more and more caring, but also generous that I'm more and more willing to give of my God-given resources to help be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Are you with me on that? Does that make sense? Are you... Shouldn't Jesus' followers become, if our faith's genuine, shouldn't we become more generous? Would you agree with that? That just makes sense to me, and, and we see it here in Nehemiah's life. Nehemiah 5. What does it look like when a genuine faith becomes a generous life? First is, there is a time. Here's my first point. There's a time to speak up. There is a time in life where we are called to speak up against injustice. Verses six and seven, I don't know if you noticed this, but Nehemiah says, when I heard their complaints, I was very angry, and then underline this, verse seven. After thinking it over, I spoke out against the nobles and the officials. But I love that first phrase, after thinking it over. That should give us pause. We're not just reactionary people. The people of God are are, are wise people. We think it over, we talk it over, we ponder, we pray, we reflect and then as the spirit of God leads us to align ourselves with the word of God, we speak out. He says, I spoke out against the nobles and officials. I told them you're hurting your own relatives by charging interest when they borrow money. And then he says, I called a public meeting to deal with the problem. So he enters in, he he, he speaks up and he gets involved. There is a time to speak up. Let me ask this question, where can you use your voice? Where can you use your influence? Maybe you're a boss in the workplace. Maybe you're a parent with your kids. Maybe you're a teacher where you see discrimination or injustice in a quad like this during lunchtime at a junior high school. Right. Where can you use your voice and influence to speak up and speak against the injustices of the world? There is a time to speak up. Number two is there's a time to fess up. Confession is good for the soul. There is a time for Jesus' followers to confess, to fess up. Look at verse 10 of chapter 5. Nehemiah says, then I pressed further. What you are doing is not right. He's speaking up. What you are doing is not right. Should you not walk in the fear of our God? And then verse 10. He says, I myself. I myself, I myself, as well as my brothers and my workers have been lending the people money and grain. But now let us stop this business of charging interest. See, the agreement in God's law was God's people wouldn't charge God's people interest in loans. Nehemiah says, guilty, guilty. I myself here he is, the spiritual leader, right? He's calling out the people of God, but he includes himself. I love that. That takes humility. But last time I read the Bible, Jesus' followers are to choose humility. We're not above it, we're included. We're part of the problem of this world. Nehemiah says, I myself. I could have and I should have behaved differently, is what he's saying. He fesses up. I wonder if you can look at yourself, your life. Is there any part of your life where you could say, I got to own my part in why this world is broken? Can you look at this broken world and go, I'm part of the problem. I actually am part of the problem. I fess up. I've contributed. I've said something. I've left something that I should have done undone. I could have given to this cause when it came across and I felt like I should have, but I, I decided not to. I, You fill in the blank. There is a time to fess up. Now I'm going to just say this because I think the people of God I, I just think the people of God should and want to be known as people of grace and forgiveness. So we live in a culture that if you do fess up, it doesn't matter. You're fired. You're canceled. You're out. You're this. And it, it, it's that's not God's way either. When there's genuine humility, genuine repentance, genuine I screwed up, I blew it, and I own it, and I need to ask forgiveness, I just believe that the people of God, we should be known for second chances, don't you? I mean, isn't God the God of second chances? But we live in a culture of if you screw up once, you're out, you're fired, you're canceled, your career's over, you're out of the church, you're out of whatever. And when I read scripture, I think God is a God of justice, but mercy, I think the Bible says, triumphs over what? Judgment. Mercy triumphs. Trump's judgment mercy 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 Jesus have mercy on me a sinner and on you there is a time to speak up there's a time to fess up so let's become good forgivers too Billy Graham's wife said that about marriage if you're going to be married man you got to become a really good forgiver Well, I think being part of the church and part of life today, you have to become a really good forgiver. And then there's a time to step up. Verses 14 and 15. For the entire 12 years that I was governor of Judah. Notice position. He's the governor of Judah, Nehemiah. He says, neither I nor my officials drew on our official food allowance. Just stop there. I had a right. There's something I could have done, but I chose not to. And it's related to a perk. It's related to money. It's related to finance. I could have. I had the right to. But I chose not to for the greater good. Not about me. It's about the greater good. So I made a godly choice that that actually was going to come out of my own pocket. It was going to cost me, Nehemiah is saying. Verse 15, the former governors, in contrast, those who were governor before him, now he's in contrast, he says, what? They laid heavy burdens on the people, demanding a daily ration of food and wine besides the 40 pieces of silver, even Their assistance took advantage of the people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. Just sit in that. I have a right. My position allows me to but that would impact others in a negative way. And so I'm going to make a different choice, a godly choice, and I'm going to take it on myself. It's going to come out of my pocket. I'm going to sacrifice. What I want you to see here, there is a time to step up. Nehemiah's faith in God, this genuine, authentic faith, it it shapes his choices. It shapes his leadership. It shapes his convictions. It shapes his compassion to help people that are hurting. It shapes his commitment to, if you keep reading the story, he actually gets out of the bureaucracy in his office of governor and he goes down and he serves manual labor on the wall. He's not better than everybody else. He actually gets out of the office Takes his coat and tie off and he gets down there and he says, I'm not above this. I'm part of the work as well. And it's his faith that impacts his lifestyle. His faith that impacts his attitude toward money. His faith that impacts his attitude toward greed or generosity. And he steps up. In chapter 5, read it yourself, he steps up, he steps up, he steps up. He speaks up, he fesses up, and he steps up. Now, I do want to just say there, if we we press deeper into the story, there's, there's a few attitudes that come out of Nehemiah's life toward money that we see. It's just interesting as, I, as this week I kept reading and rereading chapter five. And, and here's what leaked out of the text into my own soul. Letting Nehemiah mentor me this week in, in, in chapter five. Number one, it's not okay to see people in desperate need of help and do nothing. The people of God, when we see people in desperate need of help and we do nothing, that's not the way of, of God. We see that in Nehemiah. Deuteronomy 15.10, if you have a Bible, underline this. It says, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly. Underline that part, not grudgingly. Circle that. Put a star around it. Use a yellow highlighter. Not grudgingly. I'm speaking to myself. right? Sometimes when you speak, you're preaching to yourself. Did you know that? A lot of times when I'm up here, man, I'm just speaking to myself. Give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. Do you trust the word of God? God's saying, if you live this way, I, I see it. Even, even when you don't know that I'm working, I am working in your life, in your heart. I see what, how you're living. I'm going to bless you if you live my way. James 2 says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith, Faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Ah, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. I just want to believe the right things. I don't want to have it impact the way I live, right? James says, if my faith isn't impacting the choices I'm making towards those who are hurting and suffering, my faith is dead. So here's my question. Where in your life would you say, this is where there's an expression of generosity in my life to those that are hurting? God wants hurting people help people that are suffering, marginalized, being discriminated. And and, and there is an expression in my, I can point to it, that this is where my life leaks out generosity to help hurting people. I just think every Jesus follower, we need to have an expression of that. That needs to be part of who we are. It's like, that's who we are. That's who Nehemiah was. That's why he was making the choices he made. I don't like this quote, but I'm going to read it because it bothered me this week. Thomas Merton. To consider persons and events and situations only in the light of their effect upon myself is to live on the doorstep of hell. Whoa, what? To consider persons, events, and situations only in the light of how they impact me its to live on the doorstep of hell. What does he mean? Is he saying that if I'm just living, filtering hurt and need out there and how it impacts me, and if it doesn't impact me, I'm not going to do anything about it. He says, I'm on the doorstep of hell. Wow. I don't want to be on the, do you? I don't, that's not where I want to live. I want to live on the doorstep of heaven. Which means we've got to flip it upside down. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about God, how do you want me to live? And I'm going to align my life with your word. Here's another thought I have from Nehemiah reading and soaking in chapter five and his attitude toward money. And it's just making becoming wealthy. My number one priority is not living my best life. I mean, he was governor. He had every opportunity to kind of, you know, get rich through his position. People probably wouldn't have faulted him even. They probably even expected it like. That's what you do when you're in government. You get rich. But not Nehemiah. The former governors laid heavy burdens on people. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. But because I feared God, I did not act that way. Why would the former governors act that way? Why would the former governors exploit people, charge extra taxes? Why do you think? Greed, right? More for me. I can do it. I have a right. Not Nehemiah. You know, some of you are familiar with this passage, and I'll just read it. It's one that I try and read and reread on a regular basis. 1 Timothy 6 9 and 10. People who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Wow. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people, not everyone, but some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Money is not evil, but loving it and lusting for it and living for it will never satisfy. And here's a spoiler alert. You can't take it with you. I had a conversation with somebody in our church, a woman in our church who said her and her husband actually have been having this conversation. How much is enough for us? How much income, how much savings, how much is enough? At what point do we say, and they're, they're older in life now, but, but how much do they, that, that's, when we get there, and that's what, they're in this process. She told me this just a couple weeks ago. We're actually having to make the decision, everything after this, we're actually going to give it away. Wow. That never crossed my mind. And it's relative. Relative because you talk to very wealthy people, how much is enough? Just a little bit more. Just a little bit. What what would it take for you to have that conversation? And then what if God just blessed your life and you got there? Like, Nehemiah had his priorities right. He was using his God-given resources to be a blessing to people. I see that, you know, his position, God's made me governor. God's given me finance. What does God want me to do in this position? He uses his position as well as his resources to do good rather than squander it on himself. So let me let me pause right now and just ask this question. This is an important question. It's one you could talk about at lunch today. Who's shaping your life your thoughts your attitudes about money who's the loudest voice in your life is your dad is it your mom is it your boss your spouse is it a book you read is it god's word the scripture what no judgment it just it's it's an exegeting your own heart and life it's it's opening the hood and and looking at your own heart and going why do i believe what i believe Like, I don't think you wake up by accident one day and become like Nehemiah. I think it's like you wake up and you're like the other governors. I don't know about you, but I'm like the other governors. I'm like, I'm not going to be like Nehemiah unless something's happening in here. Something spiritual, something significant is happening in my life that the spirit of God and the word of God are actually transforming my life. Otherwise, I'm going to be like the other governors. And you know what? You are too. Close your eyes. Right here, right now, we invite the spirit of God to do that heart surgery in us. We wanna be people that bring heaven to earth. Not just in our own family with our own kids. Jesus, you redefined family and kids. In the gospels, Who are my mother and my brothers? It's people that do the will of God. That's my true family. You said that, Jesus. I didn't. And I pray that your voice would have the biggest influence in my heart and life. I pray that your word would shape my attitude toward the poor, towards issues of injustice, towards greed. God, I pray that you would make my heart and our hearts tender toward you, that we'd be people that would own and fess up to where we fall short, that we'd have enough humility to say, yeah, that's me. I'm, I, me too. I'm included. I've made some bad choices, some selfish choices. And then, Lord, show us where you want us to speak up or step up to make a difference in this world, to make this world a better place. Right here, right now all through this quad, this patio, I pray the spirit of God would be speaking deeply into our hearts to show us the kind of people you want us to be, that we would live our best life, that abundant life that you promised in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. The
1: creation suddenly articulate With a thousand tongues lift one cry Then from north to south and east to west We hear Christ be magnified Yeah. i stand strong and worship you. If it puts me in the fire, I'll rejoice cause you're there too. I won't be cold by fear. i hold back to what is true. If the cross brings transformation, I'll be crucified you.
2: The good news of the gospel is that we have a savior who modeled generosity for us. All you gotta do is look at the cross, the most generous act. He gave completely of himself, sacrificed his life. Why? For the greater good, for the salvation of the world. We have a God who never gives up on us. Wherever you are on your journey, of genuine faith, maybe you're going, my faith doesn't feel very authentic or genuine. I'm kind of going through the motions. God is there with you in it saying, let me help you take a next step. Some of you are going, I don't even know if I believe anymore. God's right there, not judging you, but saying, my mercies are new every morning. Let me help you take a next step. Some of you full of faith your whole life in church, but maybe feel stuck. God's right there honoring you, but saying, let me help you take your next step. We serve a generous God who gave us life. And he keeps giving himself to us each and every day by the power of his spirit. Let's stand together. Let's affirm that faith by saying God is good. All the time. time. And he really is bigger and better than we think. He really is. Keep reading the word and you'll find that and discover it. Have a great week. And go Giants. Can I say that?
0: Before you re-enter your day, we hope that you will take just a few moments to pause and respond to what God has put on your heart through this message. Thank you again for listening to the Ocean Hills podcast. For access to more sermons, visit the watch and listen page on oceanhills.org or find them on the Ocean Hills app.